This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. You have reached a phone call from Paul, a literary hub podcast. To hear more, visit lithub.com. Paul Holden Graber's conversation with Robert McFarlane. Hi. Hello, could I please speak with Robert McFarlane? <laughs> you can, and you are. Uh, how, how delightful, Robert. I'm so glad, I'm so glad to reach you, and you are now in, in the USA. I am, and I was in Bryant Park uh, a few days ago, and thinking about the the only other time I've been in Bryant Park, which was in your fabulous company. So um, so you've been much on my mind and your library and your new, and now I'm on the West Coast for the yes. first time. And and my 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 new new gig, as you were about to say, which uh, now is happening um, on the on the west coast. But I remember that encounter uh, because you were with uh, Garnet Cadogan and you had been uh, had been walking with him and walked to to Bryant Park. And as I recall, one of our very first conversations was about the pleasures and necessity of walking. That's right. I was with one of the one of the most remarkable walkers I've I've ever met in the form of Garnett, who once uh, walked every borough in New York in uh, in a great O, inscribing it with his feet into the pavement over twenty four hours, and he loved it so much he did it two more times. And and you 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 find yourself uh, digressing in the same way, don't you? You know, I remember one comment that Nietzsche made about Flaubert that comes to me right now, where he said that one of the problems with Flaubert was that he was um, an écrivain assis, uh, a writer who sat all the time. And and uh, and of course, I'm I'm deeply uh, uh, admiring and in love, shall I say, about Flaubert. Uh, I might quote him in a moment. I have a thought, but but I I do. I do understand uh, what what Nietzsche meant. Uh, do you? I do. In fact, the epigraph to a, to a book I wrote called The Old Ways says this: the first line is, "This book could not have been written by sitting down." So I am not an écrivain assis, um, <laughs> <laughs> although, although by necessity, quite a lot of that work 
goes on um, on 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 one's behind. Um, but but yes, I, I I must move. What what they what they call in Yiddish Sitzfleisch, uh, sitting <laughs> sitting meat, you know. Um, and you know there there is some. I, I think uh, we we both share uh, an interest, and in my case, certainly a passion for Werner Herzog, who in uh, the Minnesota Declaration, which is twenty years old this year, he has in paragraph seven, he says, tourism is sin and travel on foot virtue. This is too easy. Who am I to criticize, Werner? But uh, I think that is that is too easy and, 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 and travel on foot can be sin too, depending on where one is where one is marching and with what intent in mind. But I do I do feel I learn far more from um, from pedestrian travel than from the the miracles of the internal combustion engine. This is true. I, I, I can't remember if I told you this when we last met, Paul, but I did write to Werner once, and I wrote to him about this, this book, The Peregrine, which is a book that he and I both share a profound passion for. And I've been expecting and wanting him to film this book for, as many people have for decades now, and I wrote to him and I sent him photographs of the bloodied kills of, 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 of white doves and pigeons from the peregrine roost uh, near my house. And I, I said to him, Werner Herzog, um, this is me, and I think you've read what I have to say about the peregrine, and will you film it? And if you will, may I impossibly, impertinently be involved somehow? And he wrote back very fast. I think he liked the the image of the dead white dove with its intestines out. And he said, um, he said nice things. And then he said, there are certain books that must never be filmed. Of these, uh, Buchner's Lentz is one and The Peregrine is another. Indeed, I would go so far as to say that anyone attempting to film this book should be shot without trial. And uh, so I have not pursued my filming plans for The Peregrine. No, I think, I think, um, one might say after receiving a letter like that from, from, uh, from Werner that the, the matter has been settled. I, I think I think right. there's no continuation of this. Um, now, in your really, really splendid new book, Underland, A Deep Time Journey, there is, I mean, there's so many passages, but there is one that speaks to my heart quite deeply. And I... I do, do. Do you know what it might be? I mean, that's not that's not fair at all. But I'm 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 wondering. Five hundred pages and one passage that speaks to the heart of Holden Graeber. Well, you know, I I I figured you you might divine. Well, I I won't keep you waiting, and I won't keep our uh, those who eavesdrop on our phone call waiting. <laughs> I'll I'll just I'll just say that the the passages. Um, about Walter Benjamin, uh, a particular, I mean, I lived uh, um, in a menage a trois whenever I was with someone else with Walter Benjamin, spent many, many years of my younger years writing about him or attempting to write about him. But I have rarely um, read such good pages. They are, they are truly, truly remarkable. Uh, the way you weave the Passagenwerk together with your own interests and obsessions with the underworld, I find remarkable. And there's one 
passage in Benjamin that you do not quote, which I will quote to you, and perhaps you can contextualize it in very much in the framework of your own book. He says, we have grown very poor in threshold experiences. Yeah. Falling asleep is perhaps only such, only, perhaps only such experience that remains to us. But together with this, there is also waking up. Did you make the trip to Porbu? No, I did not. Have you been there? Paul? Oh, I, 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 I have been there. Yeah. Um, I, I maybe uh, I'll, I'll, I'll reveal just a little bit too much, but I will reveal nevertheless. Um, right after uh, I got married, um, I in the southwest of France, um, we went first um, uh, to. Um, the place where uh, Valérie is uh, buried. And right after that, we went to Porbu, at which point my, uh, f- my late father-in-law said, you know, life with you is really going to be a barrel of laughter. Um, you know, from the, cem- from the cemetery uh, to the suicide spot. But I have to, I, I, I don't necessarily recommend you do the same um, if you want to have a, a necessarily a joyous trip that is supposed to be a celebration. But that said, the, um, the monument that Dani Caravan, this, uh, this Israeli uh, sculptor and artist did, is extraordinary yeah. for you. Because yep. it's all about going under and it's all about being under and yet seeing the sky being under and being confronted with a glass pane where yeah. you feel and see the Mediterranean, but you're blocked from, you know, yes. really going, which was, of course, the point um, yes. of, of Benjamin's uh, attempted escape and possible suicide. by what I learned and saw and read of it right as you say up to that final 
confrontation with obstruction that 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 is the um, the ending of that that final passage way that passage work for Benjamin and for the walker now um the structure of your book strikes me it's very benjaminian again in in so many ways i i love the way you have devised to divide the book and i'd love you to talk a little bit because you've spent a decade putting this book together maybe more maybe your entire life was a preparation for this work it feels that way at least until now um and i'm 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 more than curious i'm eager i'm hungry i'm craving to know <laughs> to know i'm using as many words as i can for someone who loves words as much as you do yes, and i but but yes it's a, it's a disease from which we wish absolutely no cure um, but i'm i'm curious you know it's it's benjaminian it also has a touch of bachelard and i'm i'm wondering these these chambers as it were um, yes. um the the you know the 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 first chamber the second cha- you know from seeing to hiding to haunting yes. to ending with that extraordinary chapter on surfacing we're coming out as it were and you are with your son and i'm i'm just curious if you could say something about how you you devised that melody how you made that <laughs> symphony how you modulated that book This book, if I if I read you correctly, correctly, was really prompted by your um, wanting to understand what that imaginary landscape, the landscape as it were of your soul, mm. where it came from, where did this urge, which I share with you, um, strangely enough, my, 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 yes, my favorite, I was in Liechtenstein recently, and I, 
those are um, the landscapes I re respond to most, which are the mountainous landscapes, Pro possibly because when I was 14 years old, I, I walked from one part of Switzerland to the other by myself, uh, having read uh, Rainer Maria Rilke's Letters to a Young Poet, where he says, Geduld ist alles, patience is everything. I felt I have to go alone in the mountains. And indeed I did, and read Baudelaire to the cows, and God knows what I was thinking about. But And that landscape is imprinted, and in a way, it's nearly a prelapsarian feeling for me to be there. It's as if I'm I'm in the landscape where I belong. Yes. And and the book for you was written trying to, as you say, um, I don't have the exact quotation, but it's something like you were trying to solve a personal mystery. Well, that is true insofar as I'm fascinated by as to why I have been drawn high. Um, uh, and I am too interested in how I personally have been drawn low um, mm. subsequent to that. Mm. But I think that in a way this is not so much the imprint of a particular landscape upon my soul and heart, but, but actually a landscape or a realm, if we want to call it that, that is imprinted upon the species. And I say that because mountain, in part because mountain climbing, which seems so natural and naturalized to us now, is is a scant 300 years old in terms of a cultural historical impulse within the Western imagination. But the journey into darkness is older than us, older than anatomically modern human beings. We have gone into caves to leave marks, to make meaning, to retrieve meaning, to move through the membrane of the rock to play music, uh, uh, the, the thigh bone of a griffin vulture was turned into a bone flute in the caves of the Jura 11,000 years ago. And so that impulse is a much older one than to go high. So perhaps it is an attempt to retrieve the contours of the soul of the species, if that is in any sense a possible task. I like I like the way you ended uh, ended this disquisition with if <laughs> if if it is at all possible and something else that strikes me powerfully partly because you you mention another uh, elective affinity of mine and perhaps of yours though you criticize him is uh, Georges Perec and you 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 speak about a, a book which matters to me enormously called Espèce d'espace species yes. of spaces and you speak about the bias we have against depths and i'd like you to elaborate on that in part to give our listeners um, a taste of the pleasures they will experience when they read you. Well, uh, Perec is magnificent, and um, uh, and, and I, I, I tried him only briefly. He says um, he says see more flatly uh, in in Espestis uh, Bas, and I, I correct that and I say that now we we need to see more deeply. And the, the we here is a problematic we, as it always is, but there is a tradition of bias against depth within Western cartographic and topographic 
topographic and to some degree political um, cartographies and, and, and vision makings. And um, we we live in in deep time, and we live in deep space too. As a, as a late capitalist system, world system, we have extended our cities vertically to astonishing altitudes and depths. We we, we we have satellites that circle the globe servicing financial instruments in skyscrapers thousands of feet above the ground level and then our cities extend as Calvinos do down into the earth. Um, Johannesburg, the mining city, sits above warrens of tunnels and sunken levels of offices and, um, and, and, and bureaucratic structures. So our cities are less lateral than they are vertical, and the same may be said of many of our uh, of our structures of thought and of 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 matter. And so this um, this is my correction to Barak that uh, now we need to see more deeply. It it strikes me that that the the depths you're speaking about also goes in the direction of of what I take to be now more and more a theme and subject of so many good books, um, which have at, as a core uh, the intelligence and necessity of trees. And I, I know you and I um, also have a, a passion for Richard Powers and the, and the overstory. And, and I'm wondering um, if you can in some way explain um, why this uh, resurgence of trees at this moment. Yes, they're everywhere, aren't they? They really, they really are. And, they uh, really are. And the overstory stands in, uh, or let, let me say rather that Underland stands in, uh, in some ways as a kind of homage inversion of of, of the, the structures and dreams of, of the overstory uh, and indeed Richard's there's a line from the overstory buried somewhere as a treasure hunt in the in 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 underland but uh, Deegan Miller who's a very fine commentator essayist uh, writer he said recently in an essay we turn to trees when we are lost and I, wow, I like wow, that idea wow wow I love that it's good isn't it oh uh, I love that can you say it one more time we turn to trees when we are lost and and for me at least what excites me there is this idea that um we, we think of the forest as a place where we go to get lost but here um that is reversed and it becomes a place of orientation and rooting and and, and location and sense making and i think we are lost um certainly in my country we're lost partly because we have so drastically deforested ourselves um it was huge news in Britain recently when our environment minister Michael Gove announced with great jubilation that he would he would free up the funds to plant 150,000 trees. Ha! 150,000 is that all? We need millions. Um trees are rooted, they are communal beings, uh, forests um may be said to think in in Eduardo Cohn the anthropologist's uh, great and fascinating and provocative recent book and i think uh, we are doing to trees now what we have done to nature forever which is turned to it as a as a screen of projection upon which we can cast the shadows of our own desires and fears and the desire now it seems to me is for a a form of green community making at least where i come from um that the forest with 
perhaps compound intelligence and complex forms of collaboration seems to seems to events most beautifully. You know, it it um, what, what you say here reminds me of another phone call I had, and indeed a. Uh, um, a bit more than an acquaintance with uh, the the great the great poet W. S. Merwin, um, who yes. who wrote a poem which I think I can more or less recite by heart. By heart, it's it's very very short. It's called Witness. Do you know it? No, tell me. It's just so short. If I if I remember it correctly, um, he says, "I want to tell what the forests were like." I will have to speak in a forgotten language. Huh. Huh. That, um, that is wonderful. I thought you were going to say unchopping a tree, which is a, a much longer, brilliant sort of reverse engineering of the impossibility of putting back together what has been disassembled um, by axe and chainsaw unnecessarily. Um, but that is beautiful. I think we long for a language of trees. We long to speak in spores. We long impossibly for a grammar of animacy. Um, and I, I do think that these longings are, are, are powerful and, um, and productive. And, um, and I, like many writers, am always seeking for a, a means of registering and celebrating those forms of, of reciprocity and recoil that exist between us and the more than human world with which we share this astonishing and damaged planet. Well, you know, Merwin speaks, um, uh, has has poems of, of great lengths, but I've always loved um, the haiku uh, quality of some of his poems. For instance, uh, just one line where he says, what you remember saves you. I love the way you say yes, yes. Uh, John Berger on this very phone call, when I read to him some poems, his he his response to it was, yes, yes, yes. How I wish I had heard him say that. How I wish I had spoken to John Berger um, before he passed away. Among the many the many writers, I I, I would have travelled a long way to to hear and to speak with. Um, you, your line from Merwin uh, reminds me of the line from Jonas Salk that I quote uh, a couple of times, yes. which to me is a profoundly searching prose poem. And the question he asks is, are we being good ancestors? Five searching words that, um, that probe the heart and an ethical heart uh, and a political heart as well. And I think we know what the answer right now is. How can we do better? Are you asking me? And myself. And yourself. Well, let us leave it unanswered because it is here at least. It is best for the listener and for us to, 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 to be searched. Let me put it like that. Another very moving passage in in your book is a passage which is framed in part by the uh, unfortunate uh, coming to an end of a life of a friend of yours who died too young, and you speak about the wood-wide web. 
uh, which I, you know, of course, when we, when you read that, it really, it really stands out because we, of course, have come, uh, to use, um, with great facility three other W's which are quite different. Extraordinary to to read about this and and I, and I want to and I want to know more and as you were talking it reminded me of another line that I've always loved of of Thomas McGuain who said literature is what makes trees immortal. Isn't that good? We're doing well with good we're, short we're, lines. We're, we're we yes, well, well, because uh, you know we we're doing well with short lines because we love to digress. I know they pull us back here and there. Um, you know, um, Robert, I would love you to, to read something. And, and, and there is, there is a poem which I must admit to you, I had never read before, um, by William, Williams, Carlos Williams. And I, I would love you to read it, and I would love you to read it more than you quote it in the book. Okay. Um, because when you quote it in the book, uh, it's extremely strong. Again, uh, you might actually have our listeners hear what you quote. It's very short. We would be doing very well if we just quoted that. But I want us to do even better by you reading the entire poem, which is... um it's, it's a little miracle, and it's a late poem, and it is, um, I think it's glorious and luminescent and, and sad and filled with mourning and the anticipation of loss. And I won't say more because uh, that already dilutes it from what no, we're about to hear. Renewal 
even an initiation, since the spaces it opens are new places, inhabited by hordes, heretofore unrealized, of new kinds, since their movements are toward new objectives, even though formerly they were abandoned. No defeat is made up entirely of defeat, since the world it opens is always a place formerly unsuspected. A world lost, a world unsuspected, beckons to new places, and no whiteness lost is so white as the memory of whiteness. With evening, love wakens through its shadows, which are alive by reason of the sun shining. Grow sleepy now and drop away from desire. Love without shadows stirs now, beginning to awaken as night advances. The descent, made up of despairs and without accomplishment, realizes a new awakening, which is a reversal of despair. For what we cannot accomplish, what is denied to love, what we have lost in the anticipation, a descent follows, endless and indestructible. Wow. It 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 um, it is it takes us back to to a certain way of traveling by foot that in this yes. in this in this particular poem which is a way of also um, leading us to to the end uh, leading us to the end yes although the end is endless and indestructible and I I hear. I hear hope here as well. The descent made up of despairs and without accomplishment realizes a new awakening, which is a reversal of despair. Now that seems to me, uh, these are lines we need right now. So much. And also the, the, the line about whiteness seems to me so powerful. Uh, the anticipation, uh, as I said, um, of what will be lost um, or what is lost nearly in in anticipation. And I, I, I mentioned to you earlier, I had prepared this line in my mind when I read that poem, um, which, as I said, I found so powerful, uh, beyond even those extraordinary, glorious two first lines of the poem that you quote, is there is a line in a very early short story by Flaubert, where he says, Il y a un moment dans tous les départs où l'autre n'est plus avec vous. There is a moment in every departure where the other is no longer with you. And it, it feels that this poem in some way is anticipating this moment where we leave but a trace. 
is right. It, it echoes in the spaces it opens. Um, the world it opens is always a place formerly unsuspected, and that that seems to be a a trope of the underworld as well. Um, that which is formerly unsuspected, whether that's the wood wide web um, uh, or, uh, or or the blue depths of of, of glacial ice. Um, these are all uh, places where knowledge is held and often where the future is told as well. Are you are you surprised by by the reaction uh, you're you're getting, perhaps in the states, but also elsewhere, to to underland? Yes, yes, I have been uh, taken aback by the force of response, and and I, in the best sense, force. Um, I think something about this book and and and, and others like it is speaking to to the to, to to our moment. And I write a lot in the book about unburial, about the ways in which our uh, accelerations of geological time are leading to the surfacings of of things that we thought were safely stored bodies and pathogens and methane and um, and and. Uh, and the past, really. Um, so this idea that we are disrupting sequence, we are burning Carboniferous era forests and melting Pleistocene era ice and shifting Anthropocene climates to come, time is out of joint. And I think something about the book uh, about darkness and light and and the Anthropocene epoch that we are making around us is is speaking to people's hearts in, in ways that are very exciting to me uh, and somewhat mysterious. Let they they remain that uh, mysterious, but you know I'm 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 struck by uh, the consonance of of what you write and what other other thinkers and writers are, are putting on the page now, whether it's Barry Lopez or Rebecca Solnit or indeed uh, Robert Pogue Harrison, who you quote in the book, who yeah. who all about burial and and so interesting, um, so powerfully interesting, and also the Anthropocene, which is a word which is, uh, you know, so in fashion now, and I'm only slowly beginning to understand it. And I'm partly understanding it through uh, the really interesting pages you have about the origin of that word, about how it came about, about the discontent a Nobel Prize had with a word which was slightly slightly sh shorter. Yes, the Holocene, yes. Um, yes, Paul Crutzen, um so the origin myth goes in 1999 becomes dissatisfied with the epoch, the designation of the present epoch as the Holocene, um, and instead says, "No, we need a, a new word for this. We 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 are geological forces amplified by number and technology to the degree that we are reshaping Earth history in this vast." planetary scale and durable way and he, he proposes the Anthropocene which I should say is a much contested term and for very good reasons the Anthropos of Anthropocene seems to be a generalized human whereas in fact there are a certain certain humans have been far more responsible for its depredations and ravages than others, vulnerabilities unevenly distributed and people like Jason Moore have argued for the, the, 
the rechristening of it as the Capitalocene on the grounds that this is a systemic invention devised by by capitalism and dating therefore from the late 15th century should we say so but the debates over the encoded politics and history of this term are themselves I think instructive and and this is the shock of the Anthropocene the idea we are legacy leaving creatures that are that are reshaping geology right now profoundly and for thousands millions of years to come whatever whatever gets us to act and to think better yes is is what be better it, and, yeah, and be better as as we were speaking before with a unanswered an answered question in in um sadly robert in closing um i would I would love you to read a passage. You read William Carlos Williams, but I would love you now to read a passage to give our eavesdroppers uh, a taste of of uh, of your prose in this particular book. And I'm I'm particularly taken by uh, well, so many passages I've already referred to, but the passage about ice, um, which is so powerful, and um, it reminded me again because I'm you know I'm. A quotomaniac by profession, I, 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 I sort, I sort of can't keep myself from it. But it, it brought to my mind all the wonderful quotations I have, sort of bumping against my forehead about the color blue, and in particular, um, a, a wonderful moment in in Rilke's letters to Cezanne, where he says that he would love someone to write. Uh, the biography of the color blue or a monography about the color blue. Here you, you speak about ice and its blueness in a slightly different way. And perhaps you, you could end our call, which is ending too quickly for my own taste, um, by reading, uh, as much as you wish, really, of, uh, that passage in your, in your superb new book, The Underland. has a memory. It remembers in detail and it remembers for a million years or more. Ice remembers forest fires and rising seas. Ice remembers the chemical composition of the air around the start of the last ice age 110,000 years ago. Ice remembers how many days of sunshine fell upon it as summer 50,000 years ago. It remembers the temperature in the clouds at a moment of snowfall early in the Holocene. It remembers the explosions of Tambora in 1815, Lackey in 1783, Mount St. Helens in 1482, and Kauai in 1454. It remembers the smelting boom of the Romans, and it remembers the lethal quantities of lead that were present in in the decades after the Second World War. It remembers and it tells, tells us that we live on a fickle planet capable of swift shifts and rapid reversals. Ice has a memory and the color of this memory is blue. The blue of time is glimpsed in the depths of crevasses. The blue of time is glimpsed at the carving faces of glaciers where bergs of a hundred thousand year old ice surged to the surface of fjords from far below the water level. The blue of time is so beautiful that it pulls body and mind towards it. Robert, thank you so much. Such a pleasure.
pleasure to be in conversation with you, Paul. Thank you for the walk we have taken together today. Let's deambulate more together again soon. <laughs> Goodbye. Goodbye.